Welcome to Winning at Work. This is Tony Moore. I'm your host. Big thank you. Big shout out to all my guests. I've had 20, 30, 40 just amazing food and beverage executives across all categories join us to share their very best advice, their best ideas on how to win at work, how they use their superpowers, and of course, go into the trends and kind of the unique things that they're doing to be successful. And as a result, Winning at Work has now been listed as one of the top learning and development podcasts on the internet. Um, I'm just just uh, excited to keep this going and let's just keep attracting some of the very best people, the best minds, get the best content out there for you guys to enjoy. If you, if you are enjoying this, be sure that you are subscribing on iTunes or Spotify. If you're seeing the notification that there is a podcast on LinkedIn, it's very easy to share it into your network. If it's been helpful to you, it'll be helpful for someone else. I really just want to help my guests influence, expand beyond my network and beyond theirs and get into your network so more people can hear these great stories. So thank you all who are making Winning at Work great. It's helping me win at work. So that's a a benefit as well. So thank you all very much. And today I've got Tom Martin. Tom Martin is the vice president of sales at Borden. And I love milk. I also love plant-based milk. So I'm really interested to get into this conversation about you know, how do you turn around a flat or stagnant brand? Because milk is a declining category. And Tom's expertise is quite clearly, he's very, very deep. His experience and um, firsthand knowledge is outstanding. And we're going to get a deep dive into the world of CPG, you know, through innovation, through what he calls this flywheel of, of innovation. You know, how do you look at merchandising? How do you look at efficiency? How do you look at new items, anything to innovate, to help you find new sales, new revenue where others say it cannot be done. This is a great in-depth class today that Tom puts on. Have your pen ready. Enjoy it. I'm going to tag him in the show notes so you can reach out to him directly. If you have more questions, Thanks, guys. Enjoy this episode with Tom Martin. All right. I am very pleased to welcome in Tom Martin, Vice President of Sales at Borden. Good morning, Tom. How are you, sir? I'm great, Tony. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to visiting with you. Well, I'm. I'm everyone should know that you are an avid uh, mountain uh, mountain bike cyclist. Why am I not saying that right? It's a it's mountain bike, just mountain biker. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I'm a ro- I, I do the road, so you know I had a, a brain fart with with the so you you you're sacrificing your morning routine yeah. to come and talk to us. You're you're coming down off the mountain, so thank you very much. Oh no, I, I I'm glad to be here, and I do uh, I do love my mountain bike riding, and I do like doing it in the morning when it's sixty versus a hundred in the afternoon. So yeah, well, I you know it's interesting though because it takes a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of motivation, passion, and drive to, you know, get out and do that on a regular basis. And it seems rather uh, appropriate that we're going to be talking about how to turn around a flat or stagnant brand. This is something that you've had a whole career in doing. And I, I really, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing your, your philosophy, your, your playbook, if you will, on, on how to help 
uh, help a brand. So if you're a, a CPG guy or if you're in food and beverage and you're, you know, in sales and you're faced with, you know, how do I increase sales in my, you know, my category is stagnant. I think Tom is, is your guy this morning. Well, hey, here's where I'm at with the mountain biking too. Just for everybody, you got to have a distraction because this stuff will eat you alive if you don't. So <laughs> I, I go out there and I have a, I start my day out with either working out or doing that. And then I know I'm going to at least got some, have something in for me that I enjoyed for the day. The rest of the day can be kind of off and on and whatever, <laughs> like you're skiing down a black or something, but man, you know, um, it, it great analogy. Great yeah. analogy. But it can be rough, but man, if you've done that, your day's going to be fine. You, you know, you've just, you got to do it. And, and, you know, what you're talking about is really just finding growth where others say it doesn't exist. I mean, whenever it's a flat or declining brand or category, you got to look, you got to, you know, you got to get out there and shake the bushes and see what flies out. You got to look around and understand what's there. And you've got to dig into your numbers. And we'll talk about that more in a minute till the data screams. And when the data screams, then you know, you have something and you got to, you got to understand too, that there's always a solution to every problem. Everybody, you know, you'll, you'll have people leave roles and do all kinds of different things. There's a solution out there. You've got to look harder than anybody else, and you've got to find it. You've got to be the one that takes care of your business better than everybody else. And, you know, the, the last thing is this is about innovation because innovation, you know, is important to get that declining brand up or get that flat category. But it doesn't have to be a new item. It can be in a lot of different forms. And we'll cover some of that too. But, you know, I, I, this is what I, to your point, Tony, this is what I've done. And honestly, I love it. I have a great time with it and I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always exciting. It, it's moving on to the next role and there's, there's always something at the next corner. So that makes it even better. Well, I like that you have this mindset that there's always a solution. And I think that is very helpful to know going in. You know, we, we are going to find a way. Now, I guess there could be a situation with, you know, when we get into the quote unquote data, maybe the data tells us, hey, this is a dog. We need to move away from it. But typically, though, there is a solution, right? So just don't don't stop and, and keep going and, and look for that innovation. Well, well, here's the way I start with anything is I just come into it and it's a new role because that's typically what happened at, you know, at, at the different companies that I've worked with. And and you come in and, and you've got to, you know, honestly, you've got to look at what's going on. You've got to have great people. I can tell you, you can be as innovative and as creative and as excited as you want to be. But if you don't have great people, man, you can't get it done. Amen. You know, everything you're starts. Speaking, you're speaking my language. I'm in talent, you know. Yeah. So. You, you've got to have great people. You've got to make it happen. You've got to, got to have, you know, hey, you got to have people that will critique you. You got to have people that will critique what's going on. You don't have to have yes people. In fact, you don't want that. You'll <laughs> you'll you'll go into a tunnel with a light from that, <laughs> and don't realize it's a train till it gets there. And you know, and then you've got to those those same great people have got to be able to create executional excellence. And then at the same time, you're doing all that. The data comes in. You've got another. You got another business cold. You got to understand everything about the business. And you got to understand where you're making money and where you're not because and you got to understand what's big and what's not. Because if you, you only have a limited amount of time, 
And you can't spend it on the small things. You've got to spend it on the big things. You've got to, if, if you have a really big thing that you feel like is going to make it, even if you don't get all the way, 50% of a big thing is a whole lot better than 100% of a small thing. So you've got to work on those things and you've got to understand, is this going to deliver profitability or is this just going to keep everybody busy? Because, you know, um, that's not where you want to be. You don't want to be just keeping everybody busy doing things. And then once you get kind of, that set up, you've got to build your strategy and you've got to know you're one to three years out because I got to tell you, Tony, it, it takes a year to get something done. It takes six months for you to figure out exactly what to do. And I'm mm -hmm. not going to say there's not little wins on the way, but you start making, you know, big, bold moves. You got to have a strategy. You got to understand where you're going with it. And then you've got to start playing chess. You got to start making your moves. So, you know, I, I, I love it, but those are the, that's kind of the setup of the whole thing. Well, I like that. I like that you said, you know, you have to know where to focus and that's to your point of knowing the business cold. So, you know, where your margins are, you know, where, you know, you have the most opportunity. And if you've had success in a particular area, you know, you need to keep focusing in that or maybe do it more in that area and eliminate some of the noise, eliminate some of the other, you know, distractions that come up. I think that's a problem for, a lot of salespeople, you know, we have a lot of opportunities that come our way and it's really learning the, the art and the science of where are you going to move the needle? So, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I become unpopular sometimes because I don't just stay in my lane. So in other words, I'm not just the guy that goes sell and sells it. I may, you know, I'm the person that's going to find the things I'm going to be creative. I'm going to find a solution. That's what they, people have to do though. You have to, you have to be helpful to everybody else and your whole crew. And then quite honestly, you got to give everybody else credit whenever they do it in all the different things. You've got to give them credit for what they've done. And that's all about that people and people development. And then, you know, I got to, I got to tell you, you know, whenever it doesn't work out quite the way you wanted to, you've got to take the blame. I mean, you're going to get it anyway. So you might that's as well. Right. You give other people the credit and you take the blame. That yep. is. No, uh, I, but that, and this is why you mountain bike. Yeah. 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 And so uh, it sounds like, you know, you, once you kind of have, you understand the lay of the land. Now you're, it sounds like you're going to focus on innovation. It sounds like that's, are there, that's, that's it. I mean, but it, again, it's, it's innovation, a lot of different forms. You've got to be able to nimble and be creative and, you know, innovation can fall on, items it can it, it can land in that camp of items and we'll talk about that it can land in merchandising and just how can you be creative and i'll talk about some long-term things that i did there and then creating efficiency you know this is one where you know again you've got to be i hate to say this but as a salesperson you've got to be your own ceo you got to be the person that looks at it holistically and says okay what is it it's going to drive the needle both in sales and profit for us as a company. And, you know, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to the company, but you also owe it to your customer because that can help you reduce costs, but it also can help all of you be effective and quite honestly, win at the end, you know, and that is, you know, they've, your customers got to be able to win and you've got to be able to win and you got to find a way to get there. And whenever you do that, that's where it's at. So, you know, again, it's items, it's merchandising, it's creating efficiency. There's a lot of other things, but those are the three big that I, I see. And, you know, I, 
I like looking at it as like an innovation flywheel. You know, whenever you look at that, again, the data has to scream, Tony. It, it has to tell you what's going on. So you've got to start with insights. And I, there's a, I, I, you know, I've got my favorite terms and thoughts on how you develop the insights and what you do. You know, and, and I, uh, you know, I'll give a shout out to IRI, but I love getting into IRI with somebody that's really good. And, you know, people out there that have helped me win, like Mary Case at PepsiCo, um, you know, it, it, at Borden, you know, I've got Tracy, uh, Sefco. I've got a lot of folks here that help me win, too. But the insights are what drive your decisions. If it's on a gut feel, you better back up and start again because, Gut feel is only so good. And, you know, that can have a whole lot of, you know, your personal tastes in it and all those different things. And those aren't always magical. You know, you're looking for the facts. The data has to scream. And once it does, then you then you go on. But but uh, that's the you know, that's the most important part. And then what I look at is I, I look for. High velocity, low distribution items whenever I'm looking for things. So, and then I take and tweak it. So what you'd look at in that, in the insights, just to give you, you know, a brief on it is you, you go in and you look for something that maybe it's, it's high velocity, but they just, for whatever reason, haven't distributed it in a large way, or maybe it's got a couple of issues and you've got to tweak it a little bit and you've got to do something with it, you know, and, you know, it's, Honestly, the world's built on people taking somebody else's work and the ideas and making it better and doing better. I mean, you read the Sam Walton story and, you know, he goes to Kmart and understands what they're doing. And then he understands how to do it better, you know, and those are you've got to figure out how to do it better than your competition. But sometimes you got to figure out what they're doing before you understand how to do it better. And then you got to create a sample test. And again, this is an innovation flywheel. So you start with the insights. You go to a sample test. And it can't be so big. Everybody wants to do something to scale. But what happens is then you lose sight of what's really going on and you can't dig into the numbers and you have to do a sample test where it'll work. And this is kind of a a crazy analogy of where I did this or where, you know, quite honestly, I mentioned her name, Mary Case, but she goes, you know, I was looking for this. I had this cookie that I wanted to roll out and I wanted to put it in a variety pack. And I said, where should we test this? I mean, as a straight pack, where should we test it? And she goes, this is the sweetest cookie. Then it was a vanilla cream at PepsiCo. And she goes, this is the sweetest cookie I've ever had pretty much. You know, she goes, man, I, I go where sweet tea is. And she dug in. So where's sweet tea? The South. You know, let's take it into that Alabama area in that area. We tested it and it rocked did pretty well. We continued to do that. So we then moved and they've got it, you know, in a lot of locations now. And and again, that's in, you know, that's in Sam's club, but you look at some of those things like that and you build out where will it work the best? You don't go where it's medium because then you don't know how high high is, or you don't know if you got lucky. You, You look at the data, it tells you where and who's buying it and how they're using it. And then you go sample test in that area, tweak it, now you didn't have all this, you know, corrugate, all these things that's going to drive you crazy whenever you have to replace it. You really have to be working for a company that has the culture that allows you the time, the flexibility, and the budget to do this too. You know, and here's what I'll say to that. You're exactly right. They have to trust you. And yeah. this is that whole, you know, I kind of went through the good to great flywheel. 
you don't get that trust immediately. You get it after a while. So you get, you, you play, you dabble, you get a little bit, you get a little more trust. And then pretty soon you're developing, you know, 12 to 15 items like I did at PepsiCo. You go on to, you know, do some other things, you know, one at Frito, 15 items at Frito, you know, a few items, maybe five or six at Quaker, things like that. They give you that, you know, that leeway to do things where they trust you. But also, you know, because it's not always cheap, but if you do it as a sample test, you don't have $100,000 in play or in corrugate and all those different things. You've got a small amount. Yeah, you didn't make any money on the test, which freaks somebody out. But you didn't put so much into it that you have to make it succeed, even though it shouldn't. And you talked about that a while ago where you was talking about where people, you look at the insights and the data, and you keep going with something even though you think it's going to fail. You know, you can't do that. You've got, if a data doesn't scream, if you don't, if you're not convinced at the end of the runway that this is the right way to go, man, you got to back up and start over. You got to look more. You probably either need to tweak it more or you need to look for a different idea. And that's why you need to be a year out on all this stuff. And then you've got it, you know, after you've insight, sample test, you got to analyze the data and it's got to tell you, is it working? Where's it working? Why is it working? What is the specifics about? you know, the locations it's in. Is it, you know, is it a Hispanic item or a high, I, I, you know, what I called it was a hot demographic item. Whenever we came out with a lot of different hot items and put them in different multi-packs and did all that work, it really wasn't about, you know, honestly, it, it, it did have a little bit to do with, you know, who's living there and their background, but it also had a whole lot more to what that, you know, that demographic had resonated to, to the general population, because then all of a sudden, you know, if there's a lot of great Mexican food around, you're kind of up in your palate to a little spicier and a little spicier. And all of a sudden an item that will work in Texas or in Cicero, Illinois, or something like that, this high Hispanic, that a lot of, you know, a lot of hot flavors to it won't work in New York. It won't work sometimes in that East coast, because they've got a different flavor. So anyway, you analyze the data, you understand what made it work, and then you decide to expand, adjust it, like I talked about. And sometimes it's nothing more than the graphics. Um, we came out with an item that we called Flaming Hot Mix. And, you know, again, you know, we the data screamed it should work. It did work. But we put it in a red box that was too similar to the other red boxes. And people were taking a pack of chips that was all Flaming Hot to their church social and, you know, it just, it kind of, I got a lot of rough feedback on it. So I, you know, we went with a black, you know, box with red flames on it. And then it, there's no mistake. In two seconds, you can look at it on the shelf and know exactly what you're getting. And, and you can enjoy it. It's got a little bit of, you know, a little different, a little excitement to it. Um, but then once you've done all that, you got to be able to execute it. And you've got to have... All you know, you got to understand what it's going to take to execute it. You got to understand, you know, what what it is about it that's going to work. So, in other words, you're not hauling it all over the country, or if you are, you're bringing it into one site and going back out. You've got to understand. You've got it. That's where I'm saying you got to get out of your lane to understand the problems you're creating to either help solve them or change what you want to do with it. So, you know, it was that way with. You know, we called it hometown mix, and it was a mix of assortment or variety pack. And we're talking a lot about variety packs. I'll get off that in a minute. But but 
where we wanted it on the East Coast, where I talked about, you know, there was items where it just doesn't work in a different uh, part of the U.S. because of the flavor profiles, what people like and eat there. And so, uh, again, we went with, you know, things that worked well there, which was popcorn was real big, um, Cool Ranch Doritos, Munchos, those kind of, if you're familiar with Frito-Lay snacks, those kind of things worked well there. And we tried to keep it east. What happened is everybody liked it so much, or the volumes, what they liked. They liked the velocities that they tried to take it west. But then, it, you know, you get upside down because you're hauling you're not producing it over in these other areas right. on the biggest scale. So the, the, the value chain's not not there on that side of the country. Yeah, so you go upside down on your PL and l and then everybody's like, why are you doing this? It's like, it's not what it was meant to do, you know? Well, I've got a question about merchandising because it sounds like, you know, being in a larger company, maybe you've got more shelf space or maybe if you're trying to figure out how to make a, a particular product <clears throat> sell better – you know, how much flexibility do you have in the store to literally move it around? I'm trying to think, you know, when you go into a store, things t- typically have their own place. And they, and they should. Know, right. So we, from, from a merchandising standpoint, aren't you somewhat limited to, you know, what kind of brand power you have with that retailer? Like, yeah, you may want to move things around, but what if you're a small brand and they're not going to give you that flexibility? You've got to kind of stay in your lane, literally stay in your lane. What, yeah. you know, how do you solve those kind of issues? Well, you got to make the product deserve more space. You can't go in on good looks and, uh, you know, you, you've got to make that product deserve. And so you've got to look at your products and try to understand how you can make that happen. And man, I'll, I'll just tell you a great example of merchandising like that, that I did. And I, I this was one I really had a lot of fun with. So, uh, you've seen the small bags in Walmart and up front, and they're in, now they're at two for ninety eight up front uh, in a four by you know four by four feature or whatever. That started out uh, whenever I took over that role again. You know, hey, that it was a I basically had eleven different buyers in that job, and a whole lot of it was uh, it was basically um, anything that was an on-the-go purchase, anything that was, you know, even if it was in a box, but it was immediate consumption. So cookies that are, you know, pre-wrapped, you know, secondary wrapped inside of a box. So I had anything inside of Walmart that that was like that. So uh, one of the parts of the store was the front end. So anything you go through that front end, you know, uh, it started out as pretty big, but we got it to where actually it was bigger than 7-Eleven U.S. at one point on immediate consumption. And I'm sure it probably still is now based on what happened. But here's what I had is the small bags were all they were there were seven different price points whenever I rolled into that roll and they were all over the board. And it was anything from 42 to 43 to 44 cent retail. So what happened was you didn't have anything you could scale with. So, again, I had to create a solution so it deserved to have space. So I looked at it, and uh, it was, you know, it's pretty wild. I was like, you know what? I could take all those to two for 88 because you can do a single price point that way, 44 cents, but two for 88. And basically, people could create their own solution in multipacks. Who's not going to spend 44 cents on something to go out the door? It's a value option. And... um and it was going to cost the company $100,000, basically. But it was, you know, at the time, um, it wasn't running a lot of volume. So, you know, we were, 
it, it was about $10 million and it wasn't doing much. So, you know, and that, so some people would be a lot, but you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't doing that much. And it was a little under that and seven price points It was on the shelf. So what I did is I went two for 88 and then I started dropping in these features that would that put all those great items, my best like five to six, seven items, and I'd drop it in for a weekend during back to school or during holidays or whatever, and I'd drop it in and I'd drop in two or three pallets and I'd sell through, you know, I don't know, million, two million a weekend. So then that started like, holy cow, you know, that's if we did this on a bigger scale, it could be a lot bigger. So then I started, okay, you know, you show the buyer, hey, we went through couple million, you know, last weekend on this. It's like, okay, two for 88 seems like it's got something going on here. And then the next thing we do is we, uh, we test it in some stores. And uh, then, you know, one of the Walmart leaders um, honestly loved it and got a hold of it. And once they love it, you're going to win. And uh, it ran over a hundred million dollars. And again, now it deserved space. So now you see that two for 98 placement up, up front. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we were, we were, both of us was squeezed on margin. It gave us back some margin. We split that. And here all of a sudden, you know, it's a great item. You're running over a hundred and now it runs 135 million. So, so again, you've got to look at it. You can't just say, Hey, I better, I need to be in a better spot. I need to, you got to make your product do something different. And, you know, I, you know, I, I talked about multi-packs a while ago, and it's funny how many multi-packs. I'll walk a store, and I can tell you, walk in the store, how many multi-packs, uh, by looking at it, I can tell you if they're wrong. And that is where somebody said, we ought to put six of everything in it. If it doesn't sell like that, why would you put it in like that? Because at that pantry, it's going to sell down. At the house, it's going to sell down, or it's going to be consumed just the same way that it sells so if you put a six, six, and six and something, and one of them's a dog, the next time they're not going to buy it, or that it's going to prolong their purchase till they eat, you know, force everybody in the family to take one of those <laughs> to eat products. the ones that they don't want. Right? Yeah. So so that's some of that that total. But you've got to make your products worth it. And then you know, there's this guy. It's I, he was overhead of Mexico. I haven't talked to him in a while for Walmart and uh, Greg Kathy. And there's this. You know, him and I were sitting around talking one day, and he's like, you know, I just said, you got to understand who's there and have the right item for the right person in the right store. And he goes, it's that simple. Here's a guy ahead of Mexico. He goes, if we can ever get it to where everybody understands it, you don't have to have everything everywhere. What you do have is the right things for the people shopping that store. And that's when the magic comes in. That's where, you know, in Cicero, Illinois, we, uh, it's a high Hispanic, high hot culture. And I had an item that ran $7,000 a week up there. You know, that's a lot in one store. You know, that's a lot. That's whenever you look for the right place to put in the right item, you know, and, and then you go with it. And then I'll, what you have to fight is everybody wanting to put it everywhere because it's not going to work. And then it's going to dumb down your item. You got to go find the right items for those other stores like we talked about. And, uh, you know, that's it on merchandising, though. You gotta, you've got to make your items work for the customer, you know, whoever that customer is. And, and you know, then it's going to deserve the shelf space that you want to get it to. 
And what you don't want to do is put it everywhere because then it dumbs it down so much that nobody can understand what's going on. You know, hey, I get it. And, you know, there's a lot of big companies out there. Yep, got it everywhere. And maybe it works. But if it's polarizing at all, you got to stay where it works. And if it's not, if it's mainstream, then, yeah, it can go everywhere. And it should go everywhere. Tom, what about packaging? I know I've seen companies come out with a, with a new look, a new, you know, a, a color, and you kind of touched on it. Do you have any specifics about where you saw really just same product, you just kind of changed changed something about, about the packaging that kind of helped a, a, a sagging brand? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, it goes everything, everywhere and everything from, from color. So, you know, we had, you know, quite honestly, you know, on, on – on some better for you brands, you know, they were just kind of a, I would call it a, I don't know, an off blue or something. And we went to more of a green look and a little green and blue in there. And it, it, so the colors matched. And I talked about flaming hot where somebody can tell, I mean, they ought to be able to tell, you know, from five feet away in five seconds, you know, what they're looking at and understand it. But, <laughs> but then it's also about usage, you know, how does it fit into their life or how does it work for them too? So, you know, um, we had a uh, grandma's cookie where we'd put it in a box that wasn't open, but a lot of C stores, 75% of the business was being purchased from Sam's to be resold in C stores. And by putting it into uh, basically a caddy, they can easily stock because those C store you know, owners and managers are going to have a lot of labor constraints. You've got to make it easy for them. And whenever I, you know, we put it into a box that was easy for them to put on the shelf, you know, we became over 25% of the overall business for PepsiCo on cookies. So it was big. It, you know, it, it it drove the growth for 20 30% for several years. So, um yeah, packaging is really important, you know, and it, it's becoming more and more important just because of costs. You can overpackage something, you know, people, there's a lot of times where people get all excited about packaging and looking at it. And then, gosh, all of a sudden, all your profits ate up in the packaging. You got to exactly. really think through that. And you got to, you got to understand what your, you know, you got to understand that total recipe for your profitability is versus, you know, how much do you want to put in it? But there is way too much overpackaging that goes on. Yeah, and there's a big movement out there to reduce the, you know, single use, you know, make it to throw it away type of packaging. So I'm not sure how that's going to affect uh, the brands you're talking about, but um, that's definitely a, a trend. Well, and it's important. Gosh, I, I mean, if you're wasting that much and putting that big a carbon footprint down, with packaging, you got to think through it. You got to, you got to find other ways. We've got to find other ways to not only reduce costs, but, you know, reduce the, what we're doing to the environment. So I I think it's a big thing. I think we're, you know, there's going to be people that do a better job with it and it may be an overwrap or it may be something like that where it comes out of, it may be shoes coming out of a box and into an overwrap that looks really cool or whatever. I don't know, you know, but there's going to be, you know, things that go on that we, you know, need to look at. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. I'm in the milk industry now, you know, work for Port and Dairy. And, and if you go to Canada, you're going to buy milk in a bag and pour it into a pitcher in, in your house. And, you know, I, that packaging's 
a lot different. Am I advocating go to that? Not yet. It's the milk in a bag. I've never heard that. Yeah, no, it's a big deal in Canada and so on. And so you've reduced, you know, the amount of packaging because it's in a, it's in a flex bag. I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like you had cotton balls bag, but it's stuff. It's got milk in it. It's not pourable. It's not anything, you know, and, and people get all excited. Oh, it ought to be a fridge thing where you could, man, all of a sudden you've got a, you know, you've got a neck on that. You got all kinds of wasted packaging. You don't want to do that. You know, it, it needs to be something where it reduces packaging and where it reduces costs and, um, you know, the carbon footprint goes down. So all of those things go into creating some kind of efficiency. And well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the milk industry. Obviously, that's the space you're in now. What are the trends that are happening right now in milk? So it's a declining category. I mean, what you've got to look at with that is there's a whole lot of changes that went on. And, you know, I'll, I'll take a lot of them back to uh, sugar. So if, if you think about what went on, milk and cereal was a big deal. Cereal is a declining category. And when cereal is you know, most often consumed with milk in the cereal or cereal in the milk, um, then you're going to go down. And that's, you know, if you, if you took the consumption back, that's big part of it, you know, and you know, you, the sugary cereals, you know, they're, if you go back, they used to, <laughs> they used to brag about having real sugar in the cereal. And, you know, so now, you know, it, it's, yeah, you've got the trend going away from sugar and the sugars in the cereal and the cereal uses the milk. So it's just, yeah. So that's know, part of it. Kind of caught up in that. Yeah. And it's all about, I mean, I, I do believe there's some trends in that and there's some, some marketing that needs to go on to understand the health and wellness benefits, you know, with, you know, the products that we have milk is, it's healthy and has a lot of good things about it. And there's a lot of, you know, the protein, all the other things. And, you know, there's, hey, I get it. There's a lot of excitement around, you know, plant-based. I, I think that there's some room there for for both. And I think, I think not only can both survive, you know, together, I think you could put them together in ways where oat milk might need milk in it, you know, where things like that is. And, hey, I'm... You know, again, there's no data behind this. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we need to be looking at. But whenever you try to understand how to take a, a declining category like this, you've got you can't just keep running faster on the treadmill. You're not going to get there. You've got you know you've got to start understanding what is it about this that people want need. What's going to be the the healthy solution? Somebody's figured it out there. Out there, you've got to look at. <laughs> high velocity, low distribution. You got to look at, understand what's going on and look at the tweaks. And then it doesn't mean you duplicate them. I'm just saying they figured part of it out and then you've got to go with that, you know, and it, you know, people are looking at, you know, if, if you put protein typically on the packaging, calling it out, it's going to help you. It might give you two or 3%. You know, it's like you was talking about with packaging, you know, yeah. what's on that packaging, what calls out, the benefits of that product, you know, is it just the way it looks a little, but a whole lot of it is what is it that a customer is looking at and then they can find it on that packaging. So what, what's it call out? What's exciting about it to a customer that's going down that aisle and they go, okay, this sets that one apart. 
or this one describes what it is. And we miss that all the time. And, you know, right, honestly, I mean, there's just so much being done right now where I am. But, you know, that's a future for us. I mean, we've got to figure out what it is that's going on. We've got to dig into the data. We've got to understand it. You know, if you look at it, again, the protein is a big thing. Clean and natural, you know, preservative-free, all of those things are taking off. And, man, rightfully so. I mean, I, uh, you know, in the past I had jobs where I sold things that weren't so healthy, and now I sell things that are healthy. And I'm before I, you know, hey, I'd, I'd ride bikes, but not like I do now. I do things, but not like I do now, you know. And my health and wellness, because I'm surrounding myself with healthier foods, and quite honestly the secret to, you know, some of that health and wellness is what you eat. What you can, the big part of that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, I was a coach for soccer and I think one of the best things I ever learned was you can't, you can't outwork an unhealthy diet. I mean, you just can't do it. I mean, if you think you're going to put in so much fitness that you can compensate for an unhealthy diet, you're wrong. You'll never win. And I, it was, you know, I probably wasn't the best soccer coach, but I did hear that part of it in, in my training and, and did get it out of that. And, um, the truth is, is, you know, you can't put water in your car and expect for it to run. You can't put the wrong things. So we got to look at healthy solutions for people. And then this whole no sugar craze that's going on is, uh, you know, it's it's real. It's here. And people have got to pay attention to that. And they got to understand it. And, and uh, you know, hey, I've uh, I got a diabetic daughter. So, you know, you you really understand nutrition whenever you're around it, she understands it a whole lot more than I do and her and her mom both. But, but, uh, Vanessa's had, you know, that, and she's magic with that. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, her opinion about things, just like everybody else would helps us. And, and we need to listen to those opinions. You know, we don't have, we need to go look at the data and make sure it tells you that, but you need to, you know, you need to understand what's going on. You need to, you know, look at Gen Z and what's going on now, you know, what's their, you know, what's their choices? You know, they're going to be the next age group that's going to be spending the money and they're making good money. And, you know, um, you've got, you know, you got a, a group there that is growing and going to have families and all that. So, again, all those things help you make those decisions around innovation that's going to make you successful. So, so you know, just to kind of summarize it all, is you got to have the right people. You got to go through all the steps and understand, you know, what it is that's going to make executional excellence. You got to know the business cold. You got to build your strategy. And, and then, you, you know, you've got to go into your, your innovation or understand, you know, once you've understood what's going on, you've got to understand is it items, merchandising, or efficiency that's going to be that biggest savings? Or money maker for you, Tony. And then you got to put your efforts. You can't do everything all at once. And you don't want to pick the wrong item and put everybody against it. You've got to have the right item, the right focus. And then you got to build that strategy out that's one to five years. One to three is really good. I, I, once I get past three, I'm getting kind of out there too far. But if you have a one to three year strategy and you, you lay it out, you can always, what happens is we'll get in the middle of a fight and we forget which way we was going. And you go back to your strategy and look at it and, oh, yeah, 
got it, refocus and go. Because you're never going to have, you know, smooth sailing. It's never going to be just perfect and everything smoothly rolling along. You're going you're gonna to have a battle after battle if you're doing it right. You know, if you're pushing against, you know, everything, I'm, honestly, I mean, you're going to have things that will set you off course for a minute and, and keep going. If you don't have that, you're not challenging yourself and your people enough. And then, you know, hey, and one of the things that we didn't talk about is create efficiency. I mean, you got to look at that and find those things that's going to save you money that's going to help fund costs of innovation or it, it, you know it just might make people's lives a little better it might make their job a little better by making an you know an efficient operation versus something where they're constantly battling it so anyway I mean, I'm interested about to see what happens with milk. I really am. I, I'm kind of curious to see where this goes because I know there's a lot of pressures on milk right now. And the way you the way you speak about it, that's definitely a, a trend. We drink milk. We use milk in our house. We still eat different types of cereals. So we, you know, we constantly are going through milk. I know a lot of families that are going through milk, although I do know some some families that, you know, they don't drink milk at all. And we kind of look at them like um, – that's just odd to us, you know, because we just, you know, we grew up, you know, using milk and different products. And because kind of curious to see how milk evolves as an industry and how they can get maybe integrated into other products, you know, um, smoothies, things like that. You know, that's a real big, you know, people love making smoothies, you know, I don't know how maybe milk finds a way to, you know, blend itself into that, no pun intended. Well, think about it. A lot of times people put, protein with it okay <laughs> that protein is whey and that protein that whey came from milk so you know what they do is they'll take it something that you know and, and they built a smoothie and it's really tasty but in order to kind of give their self permission then they put protein in it for that really tasty somewhat you know hey sugar sugar you know i Fruit is better sugar than any, you know, the others, in my opinion. But again, I'm not the scientist. But uh, they'll give their self permission that, you know, in that smoothie. But then you put protein in it, which, I mean, the protein is what gives you the permission to do it. And, right, right. Hey, I, I, I get it. But you're right. I mean, things like that. But it's going to, you know, and, and I was on a call yesterday uh, with milk industry and we were talking and um you know i, I truly believe that it, it's going to take some good marketing good understanding of what's going on for us to come out of this thing uh in really good shape i mean it's good things are going well how can we be better again you know it's it's figuring out what what others have done right and then make it better mirror it and do better and uh, there's well, a lot. Of I mean, hey, and we've got. Hey, listen, I mean, this is this is your expertise. This is what you do. You, um, and this is obviously why you're there. So it's going to be fascinating to to check back in and just see, you know, what's happened. And um, we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll have a follow up and and yeah. discover. You know, yeah, and, no, and, I love that. I've enjoyed this, and I'll, I'll just tell you, Tony. I mean, I love this kind of. I call it problem solving because. There is always a solution, and it's fun to come out of it with it. You know, it, it's um, not miserable, but it's difficult in the middle of the storm. 
But whenever you come out of it, the solution that you built and the people that grew during those things, it's so amazing. And, and it, you know, it's just uplifting to, you know, hey, take on the next one. Then. You're ready for it. So, yeah. And you've just got that perfect attitude. And I just think, I think that really comes through. We didn't talk about that at all, but <laughs> I, I honestly, it's, it's, you've got this mindset that you're going to succeed and you're going to just try all the different angles and you, you're working that flywheel going around yeah, and you know, you're finding the success. So I think it's fantastic. I think it's a great introduction for people. And so let, let's say people want to reach out to you. Are, are there ways that they can find you? I mean, I'm going to tag you on LinkedIn, so they'll find you on LinkedIn. Are, are there other areas, other social places I'm you not, might be? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I <laughs> I like my vacation. So, you know, I, I, uh, I've i been on some other sites for vacation stuff, but I just seem not get hit with work on that. Um so, no, uh, right, right. So, yeah. so LinkedIn is the best be one, the for you, right? one. Yeah, LinkedIn would be great. And there's a couple of articles I've written out there on LinkedIn, and I stopped. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed writing those. I just didn't continue. But I, uh, you know, LinkedIn would be the best, you know. And one last thing you, you mentioned attitude. And I do have that. I, I believe there's three things you've got to walk into the door with every day. And it's attitude, the right attitude, right energy in the right presence. So if you come in with those things, you're going to have a successful day. You know, it, you may not get everything done today that you want to get done, but you're moving the needle. And it, it's funny you mentioned that about me because I do. I feel like if you don't have attitude, energy, and presence, you're not going to get done. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to be as successful. You might have some small wins. You won't have the big wins. We didn't get into servant leadership. I don't think we have time to do that. And I know that's part of your philosophy with managing your team. So I'm just going to make a quick note on that. But when you talk about servant leadership, you talk about managing a team, you you're, you have to look at individuals to make sure that their house is strong. And what you've just described are the pillars in someone's life. And yeah. you can debate on what all those different pillars are. But yeah, if your mind's if your mind's not right, your body's not right. If you're not right spiritually, if you don't have your home in order, you have to have all these things in order so you can go to work and be your best and solve these big big problems that you're obviously there to tackle. And if you if you ignore one of them, right, it's not going to work. You touched on it back about a bad diet. You said you can't you can't out fitness a bad diet. So. You have to make that you know strong as, as well. So I think it's a it's a great point. It's a great it's a great ending point. I think uh, you know as we get away from all the data, the innovation, all those things, the only way you're going to bring all that to fruition is that if you are living by what you just said. What was that? Right energy. What was that? Go through the three. <laughs> Attitude, energy, and presence. And That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you, but I. To your, to your point, and I know we're kind of people. That's all right. We're, we're, this, all is how about, this is how they roll. This is, this is what podcasts it, are, you know? You yeah. Know. No, it's all about people. I mean, I've got great, great people on my team right now that are doing unbelievable things, you know, and uh, gosh, just all over the country. Uh, and it's, it's amazing. You know, once you give them the power to do it not just power but once once you work with them and you help them get over 
you know, the speed bumps, what they can do and how they, their energy just, you know, expands. And, and, you know, you can't do it by yourself. You sure can't, you know, you're not going to be successful. You've got to have great people. And, and those people, like I said, I mean, right now we've, you know, we've taken on two plants. We've done a lot of different things and, you know, it's the people that made the difference. Those people made us successful. That's right. And I'm glad you, you know, gave a, a shout out to them earlier. Well, Tom, I really appreciate your, your time, your expertise and, you know, kind of sharing with us this, this flywheel. I'm going to tag, tag you so everyone can find you on LinkedIn. If they want to learn more about this, they can reach out to you. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. For, thank you so much for joining us today on winning at work. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you, Tony. <laughs>